Hello, everybody. Welcome to our AEW Full Gear post show. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you. Moments after the conclusion of a, a lengthy pay-per-view from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that was uh, a very, very eventful card that we are going to go through in detail. But how are you, Wei? I'm doing pretty good, John. Yeah, it's 12 o'clock right now. We knew this would be a bit of a longer show, but got to say, like just like the last one, I mean... I'm full of energy after these. Well, this uh, there was a lot uh, to this show um, that we are going to go through, and it seemed to be like this was one where they were not going to, like there was going to be ample time for everything uh, across the board here, and it was nothing but wrestling for the entire show, pretty much, save for uh, maybe you know the introduction of Jay Lethal. But other than that, it was everyone getting their time and you almost got the sense in the middle of the show that it was just a rapid transformation from one match to the next. It was like one match ended, boom, we're going into the video package, entrances, and just getting this going. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, sure. I mean, these matches had a lot of time, all of them. like Every single one. Yeah, like, were there any sub-15 matches, like, on the show? Only the buy-in. Yeah, it's incredible. Like most of these matches felt like twenty, and and for the pace of this show, I sorry, I'm, Punk Punk Punking Kingston would have been the only one under fifteen. They they went in. Uh, they they only had eleven. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's still like ten matches or nine matches at least going like you know around like over fifteen to twenty plus. Like that that's quite incredible. Like, and and I thought I'd be a lot more spent after you know a show like that, but. The first uh, hour, no. the first hour was two matches, and I was like, there's no way this is ending at midnight at this pace, and then they followed that with like a 20-minute Danielson-Miro match, but I mean, they they fitted in perfectly into the window that they had, it all timed out, and I, I could honestly say I did I did sense in the middle of the show, I think the crowd, there was a bit of a lull for the, for the Cody tag, and I think that extended to the women's match. And then picked right back up for Punk and Eddie Kingston onward. Yeah, I agree. It was noticeable. There's probably a maybe a dip in energy, but um, they did come back for I think the significant moments of the show. Uh, but we'll we'll talk about maybe where we feel like the crowd might have dipped a bit. Yeah, we'll get into it because there's a there's a lot to recap here. So let us go back to the beginning of the evening at at seven thirty Eastern with the buy in, and you know it, this this became a um, you know, several moments on the show dedicated to Eddie Guerrero. Of course, today, November 13th, was the anniversary of his passing in 2005. And it just so happened that they had booked a pay-per-view on the anniversary of his passing in the city where he died, in Minneapolis. Wow, yeah. What a what a what an interesting coincidence. Um completely unintentional, but you know, um, this was this is a show that pays a lot of uh, reverence to wrestling's history, and of course, Eddie Guerrero is a big part of wrestling's history. Yeah, so there were, there was a lot of of Eddie Guerrero spots on this show and and tributes uh, throughout that we will uh, talk about. But uh, the show began this feels so long ago when Tony Schiavone brought out Minneapolis's own Dante Martin, who was asked about the offer from Team Taz, and then he was approached by the acclaimed. And Max Caster rapping about Leo Rush's multiple retirements and Dante being the only good thing to come from this miserable town as they tried to recruit Dante Martin into the acclaimed. 
and they demanded an answer or would break his legs. And Martin did not take kindly to this, uh, this uh, ultimatum and struck both and hit a springboard somersault to both on the floor. And that ended the segment. But you a don't want a different you. start to the, uh, the pay-per-view, just doing uh, what really felt like a TV segment on the buy-in. Well, they did do a TV segment for Dante Martin on Rampage last night. And I thought that, you know, for, the, for usually when it's a guy on the, on the card on the level of a Dante Martin, I think even getting what he got last night was more than what we could expect. Usually it's like you, pro- he'll probably lose like in his hometown, but they gave him a great showcase match yesterday. And on top of that, they gave him this, a speaking segment and a chance for him to do a dive on the acclaimed uh, in front of his hometown to make him feel that much more special. So I thought it was great use of the buy-in, great, I mean, great for Dante Martin, uh, and, and a great way to promote a young upstart. And then the lone match on the buy-in was Nyla Rose and Jamie Hayter against Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa. So uh, different matches that are going to be happening in the second round of the TBS tournament with Nyla Rose against Shida and Jamie Hayter against Thunder Rosa. And we would learn later in the broadcast that Rose and Shida will have their match this Wednesday. So Vicky Guerrero is in Nyla Rose's corner. So this was the start of the Eddie chance. And... The heels gained control of Thunder Rosa for a time. They showed uh, Serena Deeb, who was watching this in the front row. And then Thunder Rosa eventually received the hot tag, attacking both opponents. And then it was Hayter who nailed Sheeta with a superplex. And Rose followed with a splash. Thunder Rosa makes the save. And then Sheeta counters the Beast Bomb, sending Nyla into the corner, which was a little slow on Nyla's part, and then got rolled up with a jackknife cover, 12 minutes and five seconds, uh, with Sheeta pinning Nyla Rose. I thought the personalities in the match were really strong. You know, the crowd absolutely loves Thunder Rosa and Hikaru Sheeta. Yes. But I didn't think the match was all that great. You know, I, I thought the heat on Sheeta went a bit too long for a pre-show match, and I thought kind of lasted longer than maybe the crowd's initial interest in the match itself. Um, the rest, rest of the action I thought was okay to maybe being a little bit rough. But, um, you know, I mean, it was really just a pre-show match. And I expect, you know, in the singles matches, uh, a lot more interest because of a lot more stakes. And also maybe the quality would be a bit better, too. Yeah, I thought the baby faces stood out. It was it was a fine match. I'm not going to go above that. But I, I thought Nyla Rose, like there there were a few hiccups from her um, in the match. So um, this was not one of the strongest things on a show that was very strong, uh, very high in match quality. So we go to the pay-per-view main card, and actually, before the buying concluded, Shivani uh, spoke with the best friends, and it was announced that this Wednesday, the Butcher and the Blade will take on Orange Cassidy and a partner of his choosing. And they brought up that they are now part of chaos, and maybe he will consult with a, a pit bull. He specifically said, yeah, maybe I'll bring one of my dogs. So Yes. It, it, so, uh, sp- I mean, I thought it was important here and, and they would announce, you know, that it would be Ishii later on in the show. But, um, you know, immediately people are going to gravitate towards thinking it's Okada if they dangled just simply, oh, a chaos member is going to be right. there. So I, I thought it was important that they spelled it out that it would be Ishii. Is that um, which is not a disappointment at all. Like, that's awesome. You know, and oh, that it's Ishii. No, I would say just for Ishii, he's going to get a tremendous response on Wednesday. Um and and honestly, like it it probably will be a very good match. I think Cassidy and Ishii will work off each other uh, very well. And for the Butcher and the Blade, it's obviously a, a huge match for them now. All of a sudden on Wednesday, 
it is a combination of personalities that is so bizarre <laughs> that I just I have to see it. You know what? What is it? What is or like? For, give me a backstage segment. Give me a car ride. Like something with Orange Cassidy and Tomohiro Ishii. I just need something because that those two personalities are so opposite. Um, that I I'm just so glad they decided to put them together. Just have Ishii with like his Walkman on, and every time I die. Interesting music here. Uh, I wonder what he'd be listening to. Well, mm. um, do, do you think that this is, I could certainly see Ishii being here on Wednesday and depending on uh, his schedule here of doing a singles match, uh, to be honest, like if he's limited, you could still get him for a, for a date on rampage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I expect fully this being a precursor to Okada's entry into AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I expect both of them to, I expect Ishii to return and big and beat down Okada comes to the rescue and we get the Okada Matt Hardy showdown that you have been clamoring for away. Oh, of course. Yes. Well, Hey, Matt Hardy big money, Matt against the rainmaker. Yes. Matt Hardy has been on a roll. Um, he's, he's just been killing it. The money, the battle for the money clip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, I, I'm certainly interested in seeing what I mean, you know, this chaos tie in and, and, and what it means for New Japan and AEW's relationship. The pay-per-view started off with MJF and Darby Allen. It was very interesting when you were looking at this card of match layout. And what do you start this show off with? Uh, I think they went with a great choice. MJF was introduced as the man that can beat Darby Allen with a headlock takeover. This after he bullied Justin Roberts into introducing him as such. And then a black and white video aired of a car that was out of control and spun over with Darby emerging from the destroyed vehicle that Excalibur explained this was symbolic of the car crash with him and his uncle that MJF had brought up in the promo and then Sting walked out with Darby. They fist bumped and Sting walked to the back. But we would see a bit more of Sting later on. But a, a more subdued role for Sting on this pay-per-view cycle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the focus really is MJF and Darby and Sting at this point. I think, you know, he you're not really kind of using him for like a stunt appearance. But I thought his his role was played effectively here throughout the match. They had such a fantastic start. They were doing like. This lucha sequence where they're connected with like a Greco-Roman knuckle lock. They're getting the shoulders up. They're bridging. And then they're just mirroring one another with their leapfrogs, arm drags, and the standoff. Um, This was already great right off the bat. MJF is yelling at a fan as he is distracted. And Darby just like a missile takes him out with a tope suicida. Allen would miss with a coffin drop onto the edge. And then... uh, MJF was in control uh, from this point forward and MJF would roll away from the coffin drop and had to resort to uh, a thumb to the eye. He used the scorpion death lock, but Allen was able to break free. And then MJF suffered his knee injury, which Allen focused on. He used a figure four and each are going for these uh, inside cradles and they're rolling all around the ring. The crowd is coming to their feet here. Um, Allen then countered with a code red with this, this near fall has to be seen. It was amazing. Like the timing of it could not have been more perfect. And the audience just went nuts for this near fall. Sean Spears and Wardlow come out, but there is 
There is Papa Sting to destroy them with uh, bat shots and send them to the back. And MJF brings the skateboard into the ring, rolls it over to Darby, daring him to use it, knowing if Darby uses it, he will be disqualified. And Darby's conflicted, but he hands it off to referee Bryce Remsburg. And as Remsburg goes to place the skateboard on the floor with his back turned, MJF brings out the dynamite diamond ring, blasts Darby in the face, and uses the headlock takeover to win this match in 21 minutes and 59 seconds. This might have been my favorite finish of the year. It was fantastic. Um, this match, this was my match of the night. It is one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, this match was incredible. You know, it, it is absolutely quite an interesting choice, I would say, to pick this match among all the matches on this card to place at the very top with it going 22 minutes, but... Tony Khan must have been incredibly confident because these two put on, to me, one of the best pay-per-view openers that I think I've ever seen. Like, I, it, it, there's a ton of recency bias, perhaps, you know, attached to something like this. We'll have to maybe wait until, you know, a few weeks later to see how I feel. But at this moment, it's like, I, I think of Bretton Owen, you know, like when I think of a match like this and how hot it managed to start this pay-per-view off with. And what I loved the most about it was the fact that these two, I thought, delivered a totally different style of match than I think what we've come to expect from either of them. It was these two starting off showing how versatile they are. You know, MJF proving that he's definitely more than just a talker. Darby is definitely more than just, you know, a stunt man. They're both incredible in-ring technicians whenever they want to be. I thought the build with the knee injury to, to MJF was done really well. His selling was absolutely incredible here. The way so much of his offense throughout the match continuously hurt himself allowed him to stay on the attack while building his own injury story that I thought was very effectively done. And then the, the, the near falls in this match were incredible. That small package that went on forever, I absolutely loved. It felt like very much like Steamboat Savage in that sense. And I honestly, it's not hyper, hyperbole to me because I thought this match was that good. It, it, it was a, the type of match that felt like a statement from this company, you know, that told you this was a match with two of the leaders of, of our next generation. Um, so, man, this thing was great. Phenomenal, phenomenal match uh, to start this off. And like when you go and evaluate the outcomes of a lot of these matches like the booking options that you have left open i think there's so many different directions for this this title picture of where to go mjf being a a key figure there as one of your top heels coming out of tonight absolutely yeah i mean they're both so ready you know like they both deliver um in any time they're they're given a a big match situation and yeah, I think, you know, like MGF winning here is is the right call because you can directly transition him, him to a title challenge against Hangman Page. And Darby Allen is the type of guy that can lose and lose and lose and lose and become a bigger star every single time. Um, so whenever they want to pull the trigger on him, like he he's ready. They're both so ready. They followed that with the Lucha Brothers against FTR for the AEW Tag Team Championship. We got another elaborate entrance for the Lucha Brothers where they came out with, there were like these guys dressed up as soldiers and then hiding for cover as their pyro went off and they came out to their theme. It looked really cool. Yeah, continuing their uh, their their series of big entrances. It, it did look great. 
Uh, FDR was wearing knee pads where one was the U.S. flag, the other was the Mexican flag. And we got the uh, the tried and true heat on Penta where his mask was tied to the bottom rope as they attacked him. Uh, they would snap Penta's neck on the top rope and work him over. Uh, Phoenix would eventually get the tag. <laughs> Phoenix was incredible in this match. He hit this double cutter, did the rope walk into the penalty kick onto Harwood for a two count, and then gets sent into the ropes where he's blasted by Wheeler with the AAA tag belt into a brain buster by Harwood. Huge near fall. Uh, there was a part in the match where FTR used American Alpha's grand amplitude, which I imagine Chad Gable and Otis are not going to be using anytime soon as a as a tribute spot. I don't even remember what that move was. It oh, was where, where, they, where they throw the the the, the belly to back suplex into somebody else? Yeah, like it, it. hoisted in the air into yeah the belly to back coming it's down. Been so long. Uh, Tully then got involved, grabbing Penta's leg from the floor, and this led to Dax Harwood landing a right hand, and he did the Eddie Guerrero shuffle, and this crowd was like, "You piece of shit." And he followed with the three amigos to tons of booze. Penta cuts him off, does his own version, and the place goes insane. He's hitting the three amigos. The whole arena is chanting Eddie. Phoenix hits the frog splash. And Harwood kicked out. And Phoenix then kicks out of a spike pile driver. Lucha Brothers hit the fear factor and go for a double cover. Both kick out again. And then Cash Wheeler puts on the mask And he gets caught in the ring using the ropes for leverage as Phoenix and Penta then take over control, assisted pile driver, and Penta is the one to score the fall at 18 minutes and 38 seconds to retain the tag titles. My only thing about this is that when you do a near fall that is going to make people react in such a way, the finish has to be better. And for me, on this day, with that whole crowd chanting Eddie, and they did that spot, I was like, this is the perfect ending. Now, granted, they did have the Jericho thing later, so maybe that would have been stepping and too much. And the punch much. thing. Well, there were there were a lot of them, but watching this in in real time, it's like I it was like it was too perfect, and I, I don't think they could replicate that with what they did as the actual finish. I agree with you. Um, I thought I thought the match certainly peaked with with the Eddie spot. Um, and I really didn't like the finish. I have to say, you know, first of all, great match between these two teams. It was, um, it was tremendous. I just thought it was like it peaked two minutes before the ending. Yeah, really great pace of action. Great hope spots for the baby faces. I love the Eddie spot. I I didn't really like the the ending. I thought it was a little too convoluted and honestly not that satisfying. Felt, I mean, obviously they are going to have a, have a rematch these two teams and. This just kind of felt like a bit of a cheap attempt at, you know, creating something disputed that all honestly I didn't really buy. Um, there's a bit of confusion here with like, so is it Rick Knox that's at fault for not recognizing that this was the legal man and even pulling the mask off? Why didn't Rick Knox uh, like react to it? Like, did Rick Knox just forget that who the legal man was and, and did the mask play any part into it? I don't know, but like, it, there's a bit too much thinking involved, and I don't think the crowd reacted that that well to to a conclusion to this conclusion. Yeah, the the announcers just said he didn't know who the legal man was. So then the mask was pointless. He could have just come into the ring and and still have done the same thing. Well, it gives Rick Knox plausible deniability that maybe he didn't know which one was under the mask, but he also didn't sell after the fact that it was yeah. like, oh, sh- oh, that was cash. Whoops. Anyway, so it's a. I enjoyed the match. 
it was certainly a, a pay-per-view caliber tag team match, but I, I didn't love the finish. And on this show, coming out of this show, not necessarily a match I remembered. Brian Danielson and Miro earlier than I thought this would be, but again, this was a this was a pretty loaded card, so you were going to get um, some of these big matches at at different parts of the show. So, world title eliminator final, and Miro's got his right quadriceps all taped up, and he he would sell it significantly throughout the match. Uh, Miro just continually shuts down Danielson. Danielson is just trying for anything to get going. He's trying for a swinging DDT to go after the neck, uh, but he is he is not successful. It's finally when he gets a, f- a few kicks in, but then he stopped with a Samoan drop. He would connect with a flying knee coming off the apron, and then he was able to get Miro down and start on his submission game. He went for a knee bar, but again, Miro's just too strong and powers out with a gut wrench. Miro finally goes for game over. It's locked in. Danielson fights to the rope, and Miro just looks up to the sky in frustration. Why, God, why are you making this so tricky? And Danielson is able to escape another game over as he transitions to the label lock, but Miro breaks out, and he's in Danielson's guard, dropping down elbows, and gets caught in a triangle. Danielson is throwing elbows and then Miro has to gouge him in the eyes to get out of that submission. Miro then just stands up, tells him to deliver kicks, and he eats them and then drops Danielson with one kick. And they would do this, this sequence over again. They're on the turnbuckle, and Danielson hits the swinging DDT onto his terrible neck. And all of a sudden, just applies a guillotine, and Miro goes out right at the 20-minute mark, and Danielson gets the victory. I really like this match. Um, I did know. too, and I saw I saw a lot of people that were more down on this, and I I thought Danielson's selling was so different, and I was really captivated by it, and I love the finish out of nowhere that has become Danielson's specialty. So um, I I was with you. I really enjoyed this. I I mean I, I I'm curious to know why people might have been disappointed, and I can understand maybe why like. Maybe in the context of like this whole show, it, this wasn't necessarily the flashiest match. It wasn't the most spectacular match. It didn't have the biggest spots. But what I did appreciate was just how, uh, like, I, I think a lot of credit should be given to what Danielson's been doing in building up all of his submission victories, so that you you could you know possibly buy a lot of these various moves that he was applying the guillotine at the end here as a significant thing, and also Miro in selling this neck injury throughout his TNT title run. It gave you a wonderful out that I thought I thought brought you know they took great advantage of like, immediately after like the whole match like he, he teased it you know he Brian teased going for the, the tornado DDT and Miro immediately saw it shoved him off like he knows this is a Achilles heel and he was trying his best to avoid it and then Brian ultimately caught him with a surprise um, DDT towards the end that pretty much ended the match I thought the guillotine was really just a formality after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like the the swinging DDT was the key that he was able to hit. I I just thought it was like really different sort of selling for 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 Danielson that uh, really conveyed like the fight aspect of this and having to overcome this size and strength disparity that he has with Miro. And I thought it was like just a really like well put together match that was very different from everything else on the card, which was welcome. We move on to the Falls Count Anywhere match. Adam Cole and the Young Bucks against Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Christian Cage. Do you want to describe what the Bucks were dressed up as? Um, 
I I wasn't paying particular attention. What was it like they, you mean the in ring gear, like the the pink? They were all stuff? in pur- they were all in purple, including parts of their facial hair that they had dyed purple. I I honestly wasn't even paying such close attention. I guess they were going for maybe they were going for for uh, for a prince kind of. Oh, okay, uh, the Minnesota gimmick. deal. Yeah. I can see that. So this kind of just went through stages where it just escalated in the degree of violent weapon that they were going to introduce. First, it was the chair that Adam Cole brought in. Then we would move over to the tried and true trash cans, which were uh, a big hit here. Then a table was brought out by Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, and Cole gets drilled into the chair with the double team maneuver by Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, and he comes up, and dude, this guy was just covered, just uh, full. Uh, His forehead was just leaking blood, and Cage goes for another concerto, but he hands the chair to Jungle Boy, but it's stopped by Matt Jackson. Cage and Nick take off. They go up into the balcony and leads to a big high cross by Christian at his age, 47 years old, coming off of this balcony with a high cross. This man should be retired. He should be diving off of balconies, man. That that was crazy. The uh, Cole and the Bucks are in control. Uh, they bring out the black bag of thumbtacks and they put the tacks into Jungle Boy's mouth. This whole match was about Jungle Boy, as we assumed it would be, and really just adding to this man's toughness. He's going to have to swallow these thumbtacks as they super kick them simultaneously. But then Christian Cage returned and he made the save. Now it was time to bring in the ladder and Cage fought off all three with a trash can and... Then Luchasaurus takes out Cole. Nick falls. uh, Both Cole and Nick take these big ladder bumps from Luchasaurus. And eventually we make our way up the ramp and Jungle Boy catches. um, It was a I can't remember who it was. I think it was Matt that he catches in the snare trap and that's broken up. So all six fight. We saw Matt hit an incredible somersault dive to Luchasaurus on the floor. Luchasaurus would come back. He would end up doing a, a shooting star press off of the off of the ramp to the floor. That and was then, amazing. Oh, like it was it was totally lost in all of this. But Luchasaurus did some very impressive stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know if I've never certainly never seen him do, do this before. But like this very much felt to me like maybe what what a WrestleMania 19 Brock Lesnar shooting star press was supposed to be like. I mean, on a much smaller scale and 20 years later. So but like they cut this jungle boy with like this big shocked expression on his face. It was it was very impressive. And then Michael, uh, Michael Cole, Adam Cole got a gift for the Bucks. And they all have thumbtack knee pads that they put on and they hit Luchasaurus with this. The BTE trigger with the thumbtack knee pads. Jungle Boy breaks up the cover and it's Jungle Boy against all three. He hits a German suplex to Nick. Cage comes back spearing Matt. And this is when Luchasaurus chokeslams Adam Cole off the stage onto Cutler and company on the floor. This is when he hits the shooting star. So they're taken out. And Cage brings out two chairs, sets up for the concerto on Matt Jackson, but it's Jungle Boy who wants to fire. And he nails Matt with the concerto, and Jungle Boy pins him in 22 minutes and 22 seconds. A big match, obviously, for Jungle Boy. And at this point, Way, after these four matches to start off the pay-per-view, I don't know if there was anything that could maintain this pace. It was just... um. 
it was just nuts for like an hour 45 that we were at at this point. Yeah, it was certainly um, a, a very big high. You know, this would be where like uh, if Limp Bizkit was signed on to do a performance, I'd probably slot him in right here just to kind of let the crowd cool off. <laughs> um, but this was another really great match. You know, there was some incredible effort put into designing these spots. Um, I have to say, like the whole Jungle Boy coming of age story of him, like not being violent enough, I, I guess was kind of lost on me. For most of this build up until like the moments towards the end here like i didn't realize that you know he had that difficulty do you know like do committing violence throughout this entire thing um but that seemed to be the way that they tied up the the story so maybe it was something i missed throughout the rest of it um yeah no it was it was very impressive yeah, I like the way it ended, too, in that you got the big win for Jungle Boy, but you also, it was Matt Jackson that takes the cover, and I think you still have this lingering showdown with Adam Cole for, for Jungle Boy at a future date. Certainly, yeah. I mean, Cole also took a concerto already, so... Um, Matt Matt should be fine by Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. They got to spread those concertos around. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it, it was, it was like interesting to see this style of match in a falls count anywhere setting i don't know if it necessarily worked as well for me like as if you know like what's interesting is that like okay we saw the bucks in a inside a cage and the cage actually ended up helping their style because it contained their rhythm and and their 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 pace within a small space so it was like a racquetball bouncing around inside a racquetball court this was like them trying to work that same pace, but in like a sprawled out open setting. So it was almost like, you know, hitting a ball into an open field. And I don't know if it worked as well for me. Like I, 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 I part of me wonders if, if they just contained a lot of this within sort of the vicinity of the ring itself, whether or not I might've been a bit more um, like my, I, I might've found it maybe that much better. Um, but as it existed, I mean, obviously um, look at the reaction here. It worked really well as it, as it was. I think the thinking was like with all the weapons, it was very much to give this more, this more of an edge to, to jungle boy. Yeah. Yeah. So following that was Andrade El Idolo and Malachi black against Cody Rhodes and pack. And Cody had a ton of booze coming out. And as the match begins, pack is the legal man and Cody tags himself in. So the crowd just dumps on him more. And the story they are stating, can they coexist can Cody Rhodes and Pac work together against their common enemies? Uh, Pac was really great in this match, uh, and he kind of carried the workload here because the story was that you know Cody got struck and ended up selling for a significant portion of the match on the floor, leaving Pac to basically have a two-on-one match with Andrade and more so Andrade than even like Malachi Black was kind of a background figure in this as well. Uh, Arn Anderson got his big spot here with Jose, the translator, and just beat the piss out of this guy and took him to the backstage area. You'll you'll also notice Arn did not come out with the uh, with the Denny's menu. So there was no game plan here. Oh, it was freestyling. Yeah, I think I think they were just they were just riding it here. Maybe maybe they didn't even bother because uh, let let pack do everything. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, the game plan was just, just chill on the floor, Cody. So. uh the portions in here, uh, in particular Andrade and Pac, I mean, these two are terrific together. 
Uh, Rhodes would finally return and he comes in knocking Black off of the apron and then applied a figure four when Pac tags himself in, hitting a 450 while Andrade is still in the figure four but grabs onto the rope. Pac then goes for a Fosbury flop, but Black pulls Cody in the way, so Pac takes out his teammate. Oh no. Rhodes and Black then land on the floor, and Black takes him over the guardrail with a running boot. Uh, but Pac is left with Andrade, hits a poison Rana, and then climbs to the top. Had to make sure he had his balance before hitting the black arrow and pins Andrade in 16 minutes and 51 seconds. And immediately after, Cash Wheeler runs down, attacking Pack as Rhodes was still down on the floor. And I thought this one, number one, I think some of the time could have been, been shaved off of this one. And I think it was just inevitable that some match following everything that we've just gone over, uh, the crowd was going to come down at some point. This appeared to be it. And quite frankly, I thought there was a lot going on here story-wise that it just felt like four different parts and we were just kind of putting them all together here. And I just didn't think there was a cohesive story here. Like I can, I can explain what the story was. I just thought there was a lot going on here. And it what is the story? I'm curious from your perspective. I mean, the idea here is, I mean, it's simply that Cody and Pac have common enemies here and that they're working together, but could they work together? And I think that was kind of the simple, it wasn't that simple a story the way it was told. I just thought it was like too much. And yeah, I asked John because like, I mean, there, there are multiple things going on, as you said, I completely agree with you. And in particular, I mean, the most interesting of which, of course, anytime Cody appears in a big match these days. The most interesting thing is Cody and the crowd's relationship with Cody. I, I'm i always curious to see how they are playing with the very obvious heel reactions that Cody receives. And in this match, I felt it was the most, you know, they've embraced it. The most Cody has embraced the heel mannerisms. His over-the-top babyface act, riling up the crowd and eliciting more booze every single time, feels incredibly deliberate. Him staying out on the floor as Pac is doing most of the work, you know, selling, like overselling this whatever injury he he was supposedly playing along with. I thought that was a very deliberate heel move. I thought they were all very effective at getting the crowd to hate Cody even more. But I thought he would, like, I thought all that would play a bigger role in the finish. You know, like, despite all that, Pac ends up getting the clean victory, um... And it, you know, like as and and on Andrade as well. I mean, if you were talking about doing a a third match between them, um, yeah, it just seemed like this was all tailor made for Pack and Cody to fall apart. And Black and Andrade seems to be like more of a unit coming out of this than Pack and Cody are going to be. Right. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, um, I think you know, coming out of this. There, there are going to be ways to interpret interpret this to to say, okay, this is part of a larger story, and this was like a perfectly Brian Mann's going to cut together like all these clips, you know, together, and it's, it's going to make a whole lot of sense in in a few months' time or two years' time, perhaps. But at the moment, I'm kind of in that space where like I'm kind of meh about it all. You know, it's like kind of week after week of like Cody maybe you know um embracing the heel aspects of it and maybe not and and he's just ignoring it and he's just gonna you know be a straight up baby face again the next time i think at some point i realize the need for like you know the i i i realize the appreciation for subtlety and for the crowd to kind of like you know make make it out without them having to spell everything together but i do think a little bit of hand holding is necessary to engage the majority of your audience who 
might not have the patience for a whole lot of this stuff. Well, well, the uh, other thing is as well is that whatever you want, it's whatever you're feeling on the Cody character is like there is a an audience that loves this guy. There's an audience that hates this guy, and now his matches. Part of the appeal is it's it is that John Cena effect of you just get to either boo him out of the building or cheer for him. But in this match, like he was in it, but he was also removed from a lot of the parts. And I think this audience, like they were just kind of left where Cody's selling on the floor. You didn't get a big Cody singles match. So you really didn't get kind of that license to just do whatever and make a huge spectacle of a Cody match. Right. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, like I, I really felt like it was deliberate that Cody was playing along with it. And and trying to elicit the boots with his you know over the top baby sh- baby face shtick, so um it it feels like in the same same uh, like in the same motion they are trying to build it while at the same time kind of kind of diminishing it. But anyway, my my read on it could be completely wrong. So if if you feel differently, if this is completely perfect, so- great storytelling to you, let us know in the feedback. Britt Baker and Ty Conti for the Women's Championship. Rich Ward from Fozzie played out uh, Baker to her theme, uh, coming out with Jamie Hayter and Rebel. Uh, it, you know, it started where the, the crowd was still somewhat subdued uh, for, I would say, the first half of this match. And then there was a moment where they're on the edge of the apron and Baker stops a gotch pile driver on the edge and hits an air raid crash. And this place just came awake at this moment. It was a very uh, not fun looking fall here onto the, onto the apron and Baker tries for the lock job, but Conti is right near the rope. And then it was Conti just going through all of her pun finishers. We got the tie KO for a two count. She hit the gotch pile driver for another near fall. Rebel then distracts the referee, allowing hater to send Conti into the steps Baker follows with a stomp on the steps, and it just seemed to be, how can we make the fans buy that, um, buy on all of these near falls here and giving Conti the the near falls to kick out from and just bringing the crowd up. And they worked very hard here. Conti uh, ended up coming back, dropping Baker with a pump kick, and then hit a moonsault to the floor uh, with Baker getting out of the way. So Hater and Rebel were there as the targets. Conti hit the DD tie for a two count, and then Baker counters a second DD tie. Each tries for a cradle, with Baker winning out and catching Conti at 15 minutes and 13 seconds. I like the finish a lot. You know, like I like the story of the match. It was like, you know, Baker hunting for the lo- that lockjaw repeatedly. Conti keeps being able to reverse it into pinfalls. And then finally, Baker just says, like, fuck this. I'm just going to pin you. You know, I'm not, forget this lockjaw thing. <laughs> Um, and, and the end result coming out of the match is that you feel like Ty Conti took the champion to her limit. And I thought they achieved that. But, you know, like you said, John, I thought the match had a few things working against it. It was a crowd that I felt was kind of spent by this point. And the placement of this match at this point felt it was, you know, a bit lower in star power, uh, at least, you know, in, in, the, in Ty Conti. And it's a difficult position to be in because this audience knows that they have CM Punk and Eddie Kingston coming up. They have Hangman Page and Kenny Omega coming up. Um, and, and another street fight. Like, we're doing another weapons match still to come. And, you know, the we say these two matches, the crowd kind of, you know, dipped down. You know, we're talking about a 17-minute match followed by a 15-minute match as well. So this was a, 
you know, it was just it was a lot of time allocated to different matches. But I, I will say, like, I I thought that you know Conti and Baker they they had a better match than I anticipated going in, and I thought they were going to have a very nice match together. It was just a, a portion of the show where I think you you could sense that with this audience. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I thought Conti did tremendously well for somebody of her experience. Again, like just to even be on the stage in a, in a singles match, um, considering where she was when she entered AEW is absolutely incredible. Uh, but I, I mean, this was not without error uh, in in this match, and this was not without I think um, signs of her inexperience. So I'd love to see at her trajectory what in two years she's going to look like compared to even a match like this. Um, and I love that she got a spot here. They told a good story. Match quality to me was below the usual standard for an AEW pay-per-view. Um, maybe even, you know, in the women's division, but I, I love that she got the spot and I thought her personality and her character was built really well in the months leading up to this. Do you have any idea of Baker's next program? Yeah. Uh, who have they been teasing here? I mean, so many of the women are tied up in the TBS, but I would imagine maybe somebody coming out of that. You know, there are a few programs in the works. So, like, you've got Sheeta and Deeb doing something. Um, I, I mean, could it be Thunder Rosa? Yeah, I mean, on the the buy-in, they they specifically brought up the the lights out match from March. Like, they're certainly like bringing that to everyone's attention, and you you could look at that. Now's the now's the time you you start to look at that program and and I would build it up for some time before you do the rematch like maybe early early next year I don't know if you want to hold it off super long but yeah she she could be right in line once she's uh, if you have a creative way of bouncing her out of the TBS tournament or maybe you wait for that tournament to wrap up and then Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker like obviously it's just a matter of time before they get back to that one mm-hmm. Eddie Kingston and CM Punk. Um, <laughs> The second these two walked out, this crowd was just lit up. It was an intense walkout by Eddie Kingston. It was phenomenal. Um, Bryce Remsburg has to get between them before the match. It's just an incredible environment here as the two are in the ring. The bell is not rung. And then Kingston nails him with the hurricane before the bell rings. And Punk goes down. And my God, did he sell like he was he had a flash knockout here. He was just down. And then Punk gives them the middle finger, the bell rings, and this crowd's going nuts. And they just go right at it. Punk drills him with a kick on the apron and attacks Kingston's hand. Punk gets busted open. Kingston just laughs and rubs the blood over his face. And my God, did Punk get color here? A few people on this show did. Yeah. What was the last time seeing Punk did a blade job? Oh, my God. You'd, well, I mean, you'd have to go. You're going back more than seven years. Wow. Long time ago. Um, So at one point, Punk hit like the the John Cena slam and he put his hand up in the air. Now, I promise that would have gotten a way bigger heel reaction than I think Cody believes the pedigree would. This is exactly what I think Cody was going for with that pedigree. Yes. Yes. Except like Punk didn't have to do half as much and got a huge reaction. All he did was he hit the protobomb. Like, which is, I think, what Cena used to call it when he was the prototype. Right. He lifted his hand up and everybody knew what was happening. (laughs) Like, it was awesome. This was great. 
This was awesome. It was like, it was almost like he, like, it was obviously like engineered this way, but it was yeah. like just the way he did it, it was almost like he caught himself. And instead of doing the, uh, you can't see me, he just gave him the middle finger. But <laughs> the, the lead up to this, too, we have to remember it was like the crowd progressively getting more and more anti punk. You know, mm-hmm. they started off very 50-50, but as this match progressed, it was very pro-Eddie Kingston and anti-Punk, which I never thought I would see. But then, I mean, Punk had everyone here because then he did the three amigos and... Which I didn't... He- lo- I'm sorry, like, I, I don't want to get upset at somebody doing a, a, a tribute spot. And this is CM Punk who has wrestled Eddie Kingston, uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, and so I, I have no doubt this was, like, incredibly, like, personal for him. At the same time, I thought he built up such a great thread of playing heel, doing the Cena stuff, that I just, I don't know if this was the best time to do an Eddie tribute, you know? It also came because the crowd was chanting Eddie, 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 but for Eddie Kingston. Yeah. So for Punk to, to, to respond to an Eddie Kingston chant with an Eddie Guerrero tribute, I thought it was just confusing, um, even if his intent was perfectly i you know like respectable of course but it threw me off and i thought it cut off a wonderful heelish thread that he had going on well they then reset in the middle for the fry takiyama spot and kingston drops punk with an inziguri and then it's kingston making the go to sleep sign but instead punk lifts up kingston he hits the gts but he's still stunned from the inziguri so he can't capitalize and go for the cover Punk attacks him with knees from the tie clinch and then just follows with a second GTS pinning Kingston in 11 minutes and eight seconds. I thought this was awesome. I love this. Great match. Great, great match. And I have to apologize to Hanzi right now because Hanzi yesterday suggested whether or not we would see a double turn. And granted, like Eddie Kingston, there's no he was never a heel to begin with. But this crowd booed punk which i never thought i would see um and it just shows you how big of a baby face they have in eddie kingston um he is by far a way bigger star coming out of this program as shortly built as it was this entire week felt like it was an eddie kingston week i mean it was very much a hangman page week but right below him it was an eddie kingston week uh the value he got out of this punk program i I, 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 first, first of all, I, I think for sure they're going to do a rematch. Um, but secondly, like I'm, I'm amazed at like how much this crowd loves him. I, I thought like Kingston was going to feel like the biggest baby face on the show page included. Um, and you could argue like the two were, they, of course they were the two big baby faces, uh, coming out of this. And with punk, I mean, at the end he offered his hand and Kingston wouldn't shake it. It's, Eddie Kingston, they have been able to get all of the appeal of like the Diaz brothers that they will always be real with their fans and they're never going to just um, like you, you as an Eddie Kingston fan, you don't want this. You don't want him to shake this guy's hand at the end of it. You want him to just storm out and oh, yeah. leave. And, I mean, and it, it just it, leaves punk as well, where I think he comes out of this as this still like in this baby face role, but I think people just really got into the fact that this is a real issue that these two had and they picked their sides and the majority were with Eddie Kingston. And I think with punk, this gave him the ability to kind of explore this heel territory that I'm sure in time he will dive into fully at some point when it's, when they're ready to do it. 
Totally, totally. The John Cena thing he did in the middle is really interesting to me. I would love to know if like, you know, that that spot was planned from the get-go or somehow that that might have been like an audible cuz um that is incredibly fascinating to me. The fact that CM Punk can go from being such an such a top babyface and in one night be be put into the position of the man, you know, the millionaire, the multi-millionaire who has everything um and at one point bullied this poor man who had nothing and fought his way up into this position uh there's some incredible story to be told there i i'd love i'd love to see millionaire cm punk what that's gonna look like you know like what is the voice of the voiceless going to look like suddenly when he becomes um rich and and he is rich but like here's another person who is poor and who's calling bullshit on the guy who thinks he's a representative of the everyman he eddie kingston is really the representative of, of the everyman um, so I, I, there's so much wonderful story to be told here. And at the way this ended really just felt like it was chapter one. Yeah. I think if like Eddie Kingston is just such a special performer that they have that, um, he, he's fantastic. I think this, these two weeks, I, I thought this, this whole buildup, a two week program and the, the, the match that it led to, I think this was just fantastic. Yeah. So that concluded, of course, with the uh, the non-handshake. And then we have the inner circle against men of the year, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky, and Dan Lambert in a Minneapolis street fight. And this, this match almost felt like it was just designed for Twitter reaction. Like, what is the most ridiculous <laughs> stuff we can come up with? From Dan Lambert's outfits to just random moves to random weapons with bunt cake it wasn't it wasn't necessarily random they explained on commentary that um all the weapons were objects or things that were created in minnesota that's including, right yes including hockey sticks and bunt cake and the, and I, the and <laughs> the symbol for prince prince yeah the prince logo yeah um it it yeah it was it was quite it, it got really ridiculous I I love Lambert's tracksuit though. Like he, I don't yes. know where you find a blue velour tracksuit, um, but it was absolutely perfect for his role. Dude, Dan Lambert, like there is a skill to being the manager that finally has to be in the wrestling match, and he mm. was so spectacular at that role. I mean, if you oh, could turn back time, it should have been Bret Hart against Dan Lambert at WrestleMania in in Phoenix that year instead of Vince McMahon. Okay, so you think you think Vince was the problem in that match? No, it's. I mean, it was. Uh, it was Brett. I mean, it, and Brett was very limited at, at that time. But like yeah, Lambert, but you, to me, yeah. you 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 needed. Uh, you almost needed like Vince to be this guy in, in that type of a match. The problem was yeah. it was like this this whole backstory. But anyway, let, let's not go into like, Brett and Vince. We'll be here till. <laughs> but but Lambert was totally like. I'm so happy for him, first of all, because like you can tell he was this was a dream. Okay. Yes. To play like the chicken shit um heel manager caught somehow finding himself caught inside an in in ring match against his um uh adversaries. He lived it, you know, like this was him playing like his favorite heel, like a Bobby Heenan, you know, getting caught in the match. It was it, he was great. So in terms of the uh 
the report card for Junior Dos Santos and Andre Arlovsky. I will say uh, Arlovsky like got into it, but there was a moment where him and Hager were trading punches. This guy never needs to throw punches in a pro wrestling setting. They're just not for him. I wonder what the coaching is. Like, you know, when you're when you're trying to train somebody who for their entire lives is trained to hit as hard as possible, to try to suddenly teach them to hit as light as possible, but make it look hard. I, I don't know what, what the direction is. Like, is it to aim for my ear or slightly graze my ear or, or, or what? But it's an art, man. And it's a completely different art from what, what Arlovsky usually trains as. Could you imagine the other way around where you're bringing these like 30 year veterans into an MMA gym and they're they're Why are you slapping your thigh at the heavy bag? I'll tell you, it's there just, was a, it's ingrained in you. No, it's, 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 they're totally different things. I'll tell you what's weird. It was like, there was a moment when Arlovsky tagged in with JDS and like, it was, <laughs> it was junior Dos Santos and Andre Arlovsky hitting a double Irish whip to Jake Hager. That was like, it was as weird of a moment to me as the moment when you and I were inside the arena as CM Punk was about to walk out for his big UFC match. Like those two things were equally as bizarre. Well, Junior Dos Santos, his big involvement was with Jericho where he hits a vertical suplex and then goes for a standing moonsault. (laughs) Which didn't look great. I I, I mean, you You know know what? You almost don't want it to look smooth from Junior Dos Santos. It should look like a guy that has never done this in his life. But but credit to him for like even being at the level where he's confident enough to even try it. He must have pulled it off like you know. It, it is so clear. Lot. Like I I can't give you a good read on Arlovsky, but Dos Santos, like it is so clear. He is completely all in on this. Mm-hmm. He's like playing to the crowd now after his moves. Like I I him and Kane maybe a tag team. I th- I think it's almost inevitable that they will do that. I mean here's. Like, literally, like, this this week was the anniversary of their first fight that was seen by nine and a half million people that night. Like, that's yeah. that's to, to something like, yeah, it's 10 years later. It's uh, you're not going to draw that audience for wrestling. But it's it's to me a natural that if AEW doesn't do it, someone else is going to. And to me, the fact that it's Kane that we're talking about, you have the added benefit that comes with the fact that here was someone that was so completely squandered in WWE that you get that recognition factor of bringing him in and getting mileage out of him. That was, you know, we, we saw how, what the value was in Cain Velasquez and you put him in a setting where he's much more natural. I, I think there's a total opening for him here. It's probably more likely that they would be involved in some sort of tag situation opposing each other. Cause like, there's both, I would say, probably still at the level where they need an experienced person in there to yeah. work off of. So, but yeah, there's some, you know, story potential there for sure. So all the, the Minnesota centric weapons were, were utilized here. There was a purple rain chant and the trash can gets placed over Paige's head as Santana and Ortiz whack him with hockey sticks. Uh, and then <laughs> Hager used a toaster. Did they explain what was the the toaster's origins? In is the toaster the- created for Minnesota? I'm not sure. Okay, uh, Guevara hit a, a springboard double cutter to the men of the year, and then the toaster was invented in Scotland. So I, I don't know how that worked. Well, maybe it was maybe a toast. Uh, um, may, maybe this was a specific brand of toaster from from Minneapolis. Oh, okay. 
Hager got a bunt cake pan that Tony Schiavone had the whole history of. And then Sammy Guevara climbed the largest ladder I've ever seen in my life. And he did his Jeff Hardy tribute here with the Swanton putting Sky through a table. This was just the way they shot this at the angle. It looked even larger. And this thing was already gigantic. It was totally like like WrestleMania 17, like yeah. Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Ethan Page is then yelling at Jake Hager's wife, who is in the front row, when all of a sudden, there is Baron Von Raschke. Dude, there are a few moments that truly grab me, <laughs> but this moment, I was like, holy Christ, they got Baron Von Raschke. But, well, they, in- they, they introduced him before the match. I okay, I missed that. I totally missed it. This is the first time I saw him was this moment at the end. I think it was a mistake to to introduce him at the beginning. Well, I don't know how many people would recognize outside of Minnesota Baron Von Rasch- oh, well, Raschke. I, outside I of mean, John Pollock, I would say. I mean Baron Von Raschke is very recognizable, but I, I guess it is a generation or so removed. But he applies the claw to Ethan Page. This was seriously one of my favorite spots of the whole night. I love that Baron you didn't know that they introduced him because I, I thought that, I t- that worked perfect for you. Wait. We had like three minutes in between matches. Like if I had to go to the bathroom, I was like sprinting tonight. There was no downtime at all. So uh, yeah, I completely missed the introduction. And so this was way better not knowing that he was in the crowd. (laughs) And, and then it's weird. Like we went from what was, I don't want to call it a comedy match because you had like some serious stuff in it or at least like weapon stuff. But then the we got into, were, were, but the weapons were comedy weapons. Like they the were, but then you had the Guevara spot, which was like a very dangerous spot. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like a Bunt more kick. like humor, humorful direction to all of this that it was going for. But then it's Lambert left with Jericho and Jericho attacks him and goes for the lion salt, and JDS was clearly late getting to strike Jericho, who had to kind of hold on to the rope for a, a moment. And anyway, he puts the walls onto Lambert and hits him with a stapler in the balls, and then Jericho points up to the sky. He hits a frog splash in honor of Eddie Guerrero, and he pins Dan Lambert in 19 minutes and 38 seconds. I thought it was a bit of a bowling shoe ugly match, I have to say. Um, and I think looking at the, the on paper, like I think many of us expected it, it would be. You know, the question is what sort of bells and whistles they would use to hide the inexperience in the match. Um, I, I, I thought they actually trusted JDS and Arlovsky with a lot more than I expected. You know, there really weren't as many bells and whistles, I would say, in this one. This was like very much a straight up like plunder match, street fight type of match. Um, big spots involving the experienced wrestlers. But unfortunately for me, what kind of stands out outside of, you know, the big spectacular dives are a lot of the missed spots, including, you know, when JDS missed the, like the awkwardness that came with like mm-hmm. Chris Jericho hanging on for that line salt and, and, yep. and JDS missing his mark. I, I also feel like at this point in the show and maybe the match itself could have been shorter, but it had fun moments in particular. Anytime when Dan Lambert was in the ring, I thought he was fantastic playing just a chicken shit heel manager, um, I didn't love this, and I don't know if the crowd was really there for it either, but I have to say I'm surprised how much they got out of this ATT feud. I mean, it, it expe- exceeded my expectations overall, the feud. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to get the contrast between people that were in the building that probably got some of the, some of the more like Minnesota-centric stuff. They got to sing Judas. They got all of that stuff. I'm sure it was like a fun match for a lot of the people there. Uh, if you're watching it, 
I mean, this was a 20-minute match really late into the show where you know you're getting a lengthy main event at the same time. And and there was like a lot of crossover between this and the Falls Count Anywhere match that, that you had seen in in the same night as well. So you you tried to differentiate them. Um, yeah. And the Eddie spot, too. I mean, again, I hate to say it, like, because Chris Jericho looking at him and how emotional he was. I know I know this like hard to say, like, who should get the Eddie spot on his show? Because I think it, he means so much to so many people. But um, uh, I maybe well, well, the, the, the people, of the of people the on the show outside of Vicky, I mean. Jericho would have been the closest friend to him. Mm-hmm. Like, of, like it's just, it's a generation of people that grew up watching Eddie. Very few yeah. that worked with him. Like, yes, Punk worked with him, but not to the extent Jericho did. Totally, yeah. And if this was the WWE, I think they would communicate between the matches and actually probably just save it to, for maybe one particular uh, spot. And maybe there was communication behind the scenes too about like, hey, you're going to do it here? Okay, sure, you do it too. You do it too. Okay, whatever, we'll do our own thing. Um, but I mean, it, it, it did kind of diminish the impact of this, knowing this finish way, which I mean, this was the finish with Jericho and it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I would have eliminated the Lucha brothers spot in, in that match because that was a huge high point in that match. And it was so good though in the match, but you're right. It it was great. But if you're looking at the, if you are the person putting this whole show together and know that that is your semi main event finish, Mm -hmm. um, and that that wasn't even the finish earlier as well. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. it was um, I'm not I, I mean, I'm not going to get bent out of shape over, you know, tribute spots. It's just uh, more so if you are laying all of this, this stuff out um, at the same time. So announced for Dynamite on Wednesday is Orange Cassidy and Tomohiro Ishii against the Blade and the Butcher, Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida and the Acclaimed taking on Leo Rush and Dante Martin. And with that. Tony Schiavone announces the newest member of the AEW roster, Jay Lethal, who comes out and immediately makes a challenge to Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship. Guevara, fresh off his match, comes out, accepts, and this is added to Wednesday's Dynamite as well. I have to say, I of all the free agents out there, even those uh, available from ROH... I didn't really think of Jay Lethal as as being a big candidate to enter AEW, um, but why not? You know, the more you think about it, he certainly fits into the style. He can promo. Uh, he has a personality. You can you can throw him into like you know the upper mid card, maybe even lower main card right away. So, uh, I'm I'm interested in seeing it. You know, it's it. I, I'm always curious about like Tony Khan's kind of philosophy on like who he picks and who he doesn't. You know, um, Bobby Fish, I w- really wasn't completely high on when he entered. And look at him. I think he's great now. Um, maybe Lethal can, you know, impress as much. And then we go on to the main event of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page for the AEW Championship. And they aired this spectacular video of Hangman riding through the empty streets of Minnesota as on a horse as there's footage of him losing to Jericho, uh, costing the Bucks, uh, the breakup, all playing on the, the buildings in Minnesota. He pulls up to the Target Center, gets off the horse, and enters the building. What, a, what an amazing video this was. Great-looking entrance video. I think, like, a still shot of this leaked on, on the internet, maybe in the weeks ahead of... It was just, like, <laughs> Hangman Page on a horse in the middle of the street. And that alone, I thought... 
like was enough to pique my interest and to see the actual video it it was really well done great it was awesome it, it, but it was also one of those cases where like you knew exactly who was going to win this match wait i i think we knew from the second knew. yeah like honestly if you had any bit of doubt um yeah. It was just so clear what the outcome needed to be. I think all night long, to be quite honest. Oh yeah, it's and, not and a in the lead up. Yeah. It's not a criticism at all. Um, but it's just one of those things where, like, it just took me back to like WrestleMania 12, where like, even as a kid, you know, even as a young Mark, like, I knew the guy coming down the zip line was probably going to beat Brett. You know. Well, there was a uh, Kenny Omega coming out, and. Yes, his uh his title reign was was looking the the minutes were were numbered. Um Don Callis got involved early behind Paul Turner's back, choking Page. There's a lot of fighting on the floor, and Omega gets into his routine of the Snapdragons, V trigger, and then Page stops the one winged angel with a victory roll. Omega goes to the Tiger Driver ninety eight, only gets a two count. Page hit the fallaway slam moonsault combination of banditos off the top. That looked great. And then Page came off the top post with a flying clothesline, putting Omega through a table at ringside while also crashing his knee into the desk. And Page goes for the buckshot lariat, but Omega just collapses. So in the ring they go, and Page misses with his own version of the V-trigger and hits a pop-up powerbomb, goes for the buckshot, but Omega pulls Paul Turner into the way, and Paul Turner takes the buckshot lariat. So Callis gets involved, Paige nails him, and it must have been a hell of a punch because Don Callis was unconscious for the whole rest of this, uh, from this punch. He ducks the belt shot from Omega, dead eye, there's no referee, Aubrey Edwards runs down, and Kenny Omega, perfect kick out at the very last moment. And Omega comes back with a bunch of knees, and Paige... Uh, Omega hits the V-trigger, and Page responds with a discus lariat. Both men are down. Omega's landing Kawada kicks. Page roars in his face, takes him down with a lariat, and then the Young Bucks come out, and they're hobbling, selling the injuries from the Falls Count Anywhere match, and Page and Omega felt, you know what, before we get into this closing sequence, how about we drop each other as close to straight on our heads as possible? Okay, cool. You want to both do it? Yeah, we'll both drop each other. High angle, right on our necks. These look just insane. And then Paige, he sets up for the buckshot lariat and goes into a V-trigger. Paige then counters the one-winged angel, and Paige hits the one-winged angel to Kenny Omega, who kicks out of his own finisher. Paige goes to the apron. He looks down, and he sees Nick Jackson. They look eye-to-eye. And he hits a buckshot to the back of Omega, goes to the opposite side, looks down, and Matt Jackson gives him the nod. And he hits the buckshot lariat, pinning Kenny Omega in 25 minutes and 11 seconds. The pop for this three count was insane. This whole crowd exploded. And Hangman Page is your new champion. The Dark Order came out to celebrate. They presented him with a beer, and they all hugged and... No one came out to attack Paige. There was no cash in. So much heat was completely extinguished here in the Target Center. Golden opportunity <laughs> ruined. And they're left with a super popular baby face that this whole arena was in love with. I mean, complete, complete blowing uh, 
title change, in my opinion, way. Um, mm. The yeah. heels that could have been benefiting from this, where the crowd leaves, oh, I hate this company. I'm never buying another ticket again. All yeah, of that was squandered. They, what are they going to do for the next pay-per-view, if not a rematch? You know, come on. They should have they been disputed finish, really. Uh, hey, the finish we all expected, and it was every bit as wonderful when we all saw it. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. What I didn't see coming was maybe the bit of acting at the end and the bit of melodrama at the end with the Bucks giving the nods, which was like, I thought, perfect. It was like absolutely the right amount of a kind of like Shawn Michaels style, like perfect cheesy acting for a professional wrestling match. Um, and hey, Hangman I, did not look at his hands first before checking with the Bucks. Uh, looking at his hands. What do you mean? What's that? Oh, that, that, that was a staple of uh, some of the... The, the NXT storytelling. Oh, okay. <laughs> he didn't say, I, I'm sorry, I love you either. But uh, Matt did wink, <laughs> like, and said, good. Like, I, it's so corny to repeat, but, like, it's perfect. In pro wrestling, I think you need, certainly, some of these elements. And it takes skill to pull off. And I thought this was just the right amount here. Tying back to the bigger story, because this was very much a storytelling match. Um, in, in, and I think in, in a simple look from both of the Bucks, it was like they were conveying that they understand that the person that they've looked down on this entire time has finally overcome all of his inadequacies and that he is tonight. He's better than Kenny. He is better than the Bucks. He's better than the elite. Um, it was a wonderful finish. I really liked it. And the end of a very wonderful match. I did feel maybe the crowd, you know, a little bit quite like maybe subdued. But they were captivated, and they all wanted and were invested in seeing this guy win. So, yeah, what did you think of the match, Don? I thought it was a great match. I mean, all credit to them. This late in the show, following all that they did, that was that was a significant task on on their shoulders for it. But I thought, I thought there was a lot of creative stuff that that was mixed into the match. I thought they 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 saved like. You know, the idea of Kenny taking the one-winged angel, I thought was, you know, that was a cool spot. Um, the ending is, um, you know, I just I just thought it was like, it was a great crowning of Hangman Page where it felt like you've waited for this story long enough and it's not about uh, just keep extending it and extending it. Like, you gotta strike when it's hot and it felt like, man, when, when that three-count hit, this whole crowd roared and I think they... It was the perfect timing. It just seemed like a great setup for for Hangman Page. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, it was a it was a phenomenal pay per view. It really was. It really was uh, top to bottom. I, I thought it had tremendous energy throughout the entire thing. You know, whereas All In or sorry All Out, I thought was built off of great um, wrestling, but I think you were left thinking about surprises. This one wasn't really. You know, um, didn't really have any big surprises i would say other than jay lethal if you would really would consider that but i would say this one was more so built off of incredible wrestling and very satisfying conclusions to story in, in the main event so. which is also i think notable the fact that they did not feel that pressure of having to go out and just sign somebody to have that buzz that people are going to be comparing to the last pay-per-view like this was more so we've got our main we've got our main players in place and now it's executing the product like you know Mm -hmm. it's surprises are going to get giant reaction it's like pretty much uh, like and you what is going to top what you did 
in September. I, I don't know if there's anybody out there you can bring in that's going to generate that level of interest, but you can always go to that well. It's like people are going to pop for, for new faces, and this was more so we're not going that direction. We're just going to put out a kick-ass, non-stop wrestling show for four and a half hours, and that's what they did. And, you know, to, to varying degrees, like some matches not as strong as others, but as a whole, like this was an outstanding show. When you have, I think, you know, a story as well built as the uh, Hangman Page story, when you have a, a character that the fans are as invested in to, to win a championship as Hangman Page, there's nothing that should top that at the end of the show. That should be the lasting thing. And for AEW, I mean, Page really is the first guy that they built from the ground up into becoming a champion. And I think it's as much of a win for AEW as it is for Hangman Page himself. So that that to me should have been the biggest talking point coming out of this. And, and you come is. out of it where... You've got Hangman Page and Brian Danielson, and I think you have big contenders in MJF and CM Punk. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they have a lot of interesting options of where they can go, not even taking into account like New Japan options or yeah. you know so, something in left field that they might have for, for Hangman Page beyond uh, Danielson in the immediate. But and, I, and that's Page. Now Kenny is free too to face yep. any of those guys. Yeah, or I, I mean, here's a guy that it's like. Who knows like what his uh, if he needs some time off? I mean, this guy has, yeah. you know, it just seems he is always dealing with some kind of injury. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's not the worst thing like for him to disappear for a while and then come back refreshed when you're ready to go with. I mean, God knows how many ideas you could have lined up for him. And, and what does this mean for the Bucks? You know, are they baby faces now? What does it mean for their association with Adam Cole? Um you know, does Bobby Fish and potentially a you know incoming former member of the Undisputed Era? How does well, that? That's the main story. I think that's the main story coming out of this is the the state of the elite. Hmm. Very fascinating. All right. Well, there you go. That is our recap of AEW Full Gear, and now we will open up the full phone lines. Yes, Post Wrestling Cafe members, double double plus patrons. You always have access to our post-pay-per-view live shows where we can uh, broadcast to you right after the event as well as take your phone calls. And we start off here with Hanzi. Hanzi, welcome back to the show. What's going on? You know, wait, first of all, no apologies needed, man. Because sometimes my, listen, my tapes are sometimes a wild card tape. And you actually had me doubting myself in the sense that I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, Punk won't get booed, but like, when he did that John Cena stuff, man, that was incredible. That was awesome. I need, I need yeah. Kingston to do you become the New York Yankees promo. You know what I mean? Like yes, uh, totally. The, the only the only matches I didn't really uh, you know like were the Cody match. Not that I didn't like the, the the women's match. It was just like I think that they suffer from the crowd and the inner circle one was a little bit too much for me a little bit. But honestly, the MJF. Uh, the Daniel Bryan and Miro, uh, Punk, and, Punk and Kingston, and then the final match. And honestly, the final match was the one that really mattered if they're going to pull the trigger. And yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm outraged that we didn't get heel heat. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, was, I, I, wanted, I wanted to come on and, and just bitch, bitch uh, you know, for like five, ten minutes on your show. But no, honestly, man, that was a great moment. It felt like a, a WrestleMania, a WrestleMania uh, 14 moment of like changing of the guard to me, in my personal opinion. And mm. uh I think when when Punk was uh, doing the Three Amigos, I think because I noticed that when he, when the crowd was booing him, he was actually shocked the crowd was booing him. 
And I, I looked at it as he was trying to win them back by doing the three amigos, but like it, it kind of like you know it, it kind of. But then why would he do the Cena stuff? Well, I, I, I think that's trying to show. I think, I think that's trying to show that like his character is, uh, get, his character is getting like, like shaken by the booze. So then he wanted to like deflect the booze by trying to get, get some last minute stuff. I mean, that's how I'm interpreting. But yeah, I could be wrong. But um, it but seemed like he was like thought, embracing the 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 heat. To me, he, but, he, was, he was embracing it, but then his character, like, probably doesn't like his his character. Why he doesn't want the booze? Like, in real life, he probably wants the booze, but um, but I mean, yeah. But no, listen, the pay per view was excellent. And before I go, I just want to ask you guys: Do you guys? Um, I, I think Brian Danielson's a good first opponent for Paige. Do you guys think they'll wait till like the the first TBS um um show, or do you think they'll wait for Battle of the Belts? Because I think if I'm if I Paige beats Brian and he gives Brian his first loss. That automatically puts Paige's title reign like in the upper echelon because his first defense is beating someone as made as Daniel Brian Danielson. Sorry, and I'll leave you guys with that, man. And thank you for a good show and a good week of shows, man. You guys have always kill it with all your shows, man. I I really appreciate you guys, man. Thanks, Hanzi. Thanks for uh, always calling in and contributing. Uh, yeah, what do you, do you think? Th- do you think they hold off that long way till January? I mean, it's a big match. You know, it really is. You know, I, I honestly think that the the launch on. Like the timing of it all is that the launch on TBS is January fifth, and this date for the Battle of the Belts is expected to be January eighth. So you're talking three days apart. Those and are two big shows. Yeah, um, I think like the launch on TBS is the bigger priority. That's where your that's where your main show is going to be every mm-hmm. week. You want to establish it with something big. Um, I also that's a long time to to hold off on this match. You're talking almost two months. Is Danielson just going to wrestle this whole, this whole time? God, is it really two months? Wow, it's only November. Yeah, you're right. Um, like, think about that. That's the gap between All Out and and this pay per view, pretty much. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. I think we're we've been very spoiled, perhaps. But uh, I mean, they've also been pretty protective of like you know t- title defenses. I don't think two months is completely out of line, especially now that they've, you know, uh, built some other champions. Maybe it's a chance for Sammy Guevara to take more, more of a center stage with the TNT title. Um, but it's such a big match that I, 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 I see them holding off. But what do you guys think? Kate, what do you think? Hello, hello. Hey, Kate. Good to, good, hi, good to talk to you. Thank you so much for the, uh, the show, as, as, uh, as always. Um, I think I, I tend to, uh, I, I agree with you, Vid, uh, what I heard of your reactions to the, uh, to the show. Um, I, I thought most, uh, most of it, again, built around a lot of great wrestling, uh, some brilliant matches in there. I absolutely loved MJF versus Darby. I thought that that was just, I was blown away by that. Like, I honestly didn't know how they were going to top that for a while. I think that the main event did just because there was so much um, <laughs> emotion uh, and everything involved there. But mm-hmm. the the Minnesota street fight didn't really work for me. It didn't really come together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and yeah, the, the Cody Malachi Black uh, Andrade pack match, I thought was just a, I, that was the one real weak spot of the show to me. I thought it was a, it just did not get going. The pacing was really weird. There were too many tags in and out. Like I, I think if they were going to put something else on the, 
show, they should have just gone with the the rubber match between Andrade and, and Pac. Like that would have been more kind of in keeping with this wrestling showcase that uh, that they were doing. Um, yes, I'm curious to see what happens with uh, with Danielson and Page now. Um, Where would I tend you do the match? Gonna... I actually, if I really might do it sooner rather than later, I think that um, <laughs> I think that there people want to see that happen. Um, I also do think I think Page will win, and I do think that it's going to give him that extra boost. But I, the thing is. For a really good story, I think that they need to put Paige up against a heel, and that's not Brian Danielson. So I think the allure of a Paige Danielson match is just that it's going to be a fantastic match. Um, so you know, yeah, I, 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 I guess they can have. Can't they have Paige defend against somebody else in the interim, or at least have a match? You know, in the interim. I don't know if you're the number one contender. Doesn't that put you next in line? I I don't like. There's no rules. They can make this up as they go along. It's uh, Brian can be taken out. Maybe I I don't know. They they can do whatever. <laughs> they can explain it. But sure. I, I kind of see it happening yeah. sooner sooner than later. I, I I think January is a is a long stretch uh, unless you just you know want to announce it so far out. But I think that kind of like limits you in what you can do from now until then um you know and they do have some some big uh dynamites coming up in the next while yeah. they're they're going back to chicago in a few weeks they've got the the long island show i mean mm-hmm. there's they're and for all we know they might end up doing another kind of big december show like they did last year well that's what i was thinking like i had it in my head that they were probably going to do another winter is coming and uh, they haven't announced that but that's just i that that was my my thought process in which case that would happen in december but we shall see um i guess it's just because that's what they did last year um so just before i go i have one question for you guys and i'm sorry if this is going to seem like a downer thing but with jay lethal being brought on to AEW and welcomed into the fold do you think that that then opens the door for other wrestlers named in the speaking guard allegations to be kind of rehabilitated and brought in to AEW or other sort of mid to large promotions and get back on television? Yeah. So for, for those that maybe are, are not aware or, you know, anyway, it's, it was some time ago, but Jay lethal was, you know, he, he was named uh, with several allegations. The first were, in 2018 by Taylor Hendricks. And this was the one where ROH stated that they were going to do an investigation into it and never disclosed their findings of the investigation, but continued to use lethal. And then it was last year during the speaking out movement when Kelly Klein had stated that multiple, multiple women had brought Mm -hmm. complaints and evidence of sexual misconduct and harassment by Jay lethal. I actually have the, the tweet right in front of me here. Now, Jay Lethal did issue a response to that, stating that um, denying it and stating, yeah, he's that, denied any like categorical yes. that anything any wrongdoing. So. so that that's where it stands. ROH, I mean, they did address the initial allegations in 2018 and said they were going to look into it, but again, they never disclosed those findings and have never, you know, s- stated anything other than they have continued to use him and have obviously felt comfortable to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a completely fair question of AEW of 
your like your confidence in utilizing Jay Lethal and I think that's that's where it stands. Like you have and, these, and he's certainly not the only man to be accused who denied any wrongdoing. Like that's mm-hmm. so. It, all of these things just come down to like a he said, she said thing. So at some point, yeah, it becomes a question uh, of who else is going, like who else can have their image rehabilitated? Because there's definitely some people who I think could, you know, uh, <laughs> who would be of interest to different promotions. Yeah, it's it becomes a very tough situation when it's, as you said, Kate, like he said, she said, and you are kind of left. Like it's, it seems to have been the pattern where it's sort of where you as the consumer are kind of left where you have to make that, make the decision of who Mm -hmm. are you comfortable watching? And I mean, is the company going to state anything about this Uh, unless they are pressed to do so? Um, I, I don't imagine AEW is going to voluntarily open up this this issue, but it should be asked. Thank you so much for your time and uh, take care. All right. Night. Thanks a lot, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Shall we go to the forum, John? All right. Um, we will go to forum.postwrestling.com. And uh, you want me to start? Here. Yeah. Why don't you start? Let's go to Rich from East Selkirk, Manitoba, who says this was a good one. Probably not as big as All Out from September, but still one of the best shows of the year. When your first match is as good as MJF versus Darby and the quality of each one afterwards was really good. Although my standouts have to be MJF, Darby, the Falls Count Anywhere, Punk Kingston and the main event with Hangman winning. And to not have Danielson Miro and the street fight, a messy fun time, but come on. Baron Von Raschke giving a claw made me think of my late father who loved the guy. Up there shows how good of a card this was. Nine out of ten. John from Saskatoon. I'm definitely too young to have experienced buying a pay-per-view on a cable provider back in the day, so the $40 price was a bit steep, but I definitely got my money's worth from that show. Sometimes the predictable booking is the best booking. I knew Hangman had to win it, and when he did, it really did feel like a big relief. Great match. One nitpick is that some of the matches went too long, namely the super click against Christian and the Jurassic Express. American Top Team against the Inner Circle was surprisingly fun. I dogged it earlier, thinking I would have been a mess, but I'm glad I was wrong. CM Punk versus Eddie was my match of the night. Was hoping that Eddie would win, but I think this sets up a longer feud between Punk and Eddie. Who'd have thought that Eddie would get more cheers than CM Punk, but Punk knew exactly how to play it up. I can definitely see why people call him the best in the world. Brandon from Oshawa says, I have to admit, when Hangman Omega came to an end, even though I was happy Hangman won and it ended how I wanted it to, with the Dark Order holding him up, I was underwhelmed at the end of the match. Maybe I hyped it up in my own head to be something more epic. I definitely thought Hangman would kick out of the one-winged angel, and I thought Hangman hitting it on Kenny was to give us something, since we weren't getting Hangman kicking out. I also did not like the stuff with the Young Bucks. It makes no sense when there has been no tension between them and Kenny, and if they suddenly become friends again, Dark Order should be pissed. The rest of the show was fantastic. Um, I definitely disagree with there not being tension between them and Kenny. Like, that's the entire story. Yeah, absolutely. It makes no sense. I'm trying to, try, trying to interpret what Brandon is, is suggesting here. It makes no sense when there has been no tension, no tension between them and Kenny, and if they suddenly become friends again, Dark Order should be pissed. Between, so he's saying there hasn't been tension between the Bucks and Kenny, right? So I guess he's questioning why the Bucks would um, give not the nod to, to, to Hangman. Yeah, like kind of 
So the the idea, in a sense, choosing Hangman over Kenny. I don't think it was so much that though. I think it was them choosing what's right, choosing the moral outcome here of a fair fight, and letting Page have his moment. You know, a former friend have his moment rather than you know doing the the predictable heel thing again. Like I I just thought it was them choosing the side of morality this time around and letting events proceed as they should rather than them specifically not, you know, hating Kenny. Yeah. And, and again, it ties back to that, that promo we brought up on the, on the preview when hangman went to the Bucks to be in his corner when he took on Chris Jericho and they turned it down. And here, when he finally wins the title, there are the Bucks ringside for the match. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm intrigued um, of like where where this whole story goes and yeah. like Kenny's reaction and I think there's just a lot of interesting ways of which they can go that I'm sure are are mapped out. Certainly. And again, I want to give a shout out to Brian Mann's uh excellent compilation videos just putting every single bit of this Hangman Page story together. It's on his YouTube channel called Outside Interference and I believe he's going to drop there's already been three episodes outlining everything so far, and I believe like the next few episodes, um, probably containing some of the results of today, will uh, will be up in the channel in the next few days. So shout out to him. Jesse from the six says easily the best show of the year for me. Honestly, maybe the best ever. I hope the buy rate for the show is great and AEW ratings go up and up. This is what pro wrestling should be. Just amazing. We got a Feirus from Malaysia who says full gear is behind all out in terms of quality of matches, but the ending will be forever remembered in AEW history. A culmination of the company's first major arc. Only downsides was no room for a breather after each match, which I hope they would have in future pay-per-views. Nine out of ten. Was that was that a, an issue that you found, John? Lack of breathing room? It's it's a it's a rather unusual um complaint, I have to say, these days. You know, like it is for us. It's common for you and I as people have to mm-hmm. take notes. But for, for the common viewer is, do you sense it being an issue? Well, I I didn't like hate this format. Like it was just go, go, go. And it's like, listen, the quality was pretty high. I think I'd have a very different uh, viewpoint if it was like subpar wrestling um, in the same format. But that was not the case tonight at all. Um it is a lot like it was it was like nonstop four hours. But again, I kind of um, look at it from like our perspective that like I'm doing notes for all this, that the average we need, person we need a musical not. performance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it's like like clearly they're looking at it from like that point of view. And it, it did seem like there were especially in the middle, like it was going very quick between matches to video to like, I think between the end of Britt Baker's uh Britt Baker's win over Conti and Eddie Kingston walking out for the next match. It might've been like four minutes in between. I, I do think there are lessons to be had though. You know, absolutely. Like with, with maybe some of the down, <laughs> the down state of, uh, of the crowd throughout some of, some of this. this I never show. felt my time was wasted on this show. No, you didn't. But, but the energy of the crowd dipped. We, we, you know, I think we're both in agreement of what, what I often think about though, is like UFCs where like, over the span of like three hours, they could present to you five matches with so much downtime in between. Right. But um, by the end of it, you feel completely satisfied. You know, yeah. maybe for all the matches, if they're good matches, you you will feel up the entire time. I mean, you know, can can wrestling can all eat take from that? It's also like an interesting 
like question for people that were at the arena tonight where it's like, hey, if you wanted like go grab something to eat, you know what I mean? Or buy some merchandise like you had no window to do that on this pay-per-view. No. If, you, if you were there and you're invested in these matches, you really didn't have that that time to uh, duck out. But I mean, you know, it's maybe part of the issue when you only have four major shows a year. You want to make sure that everybody has right. a spot on the show. Yeah. So anyway, uh, is it me? Uh, I'll go you? next. It's uh, Rory from uh, Poconos, Pennsylvania. Full Gear really felt like a WrestleMania-like event. The card was built so well, and almost all the matches felt like they could either open or close the show due to both storyline builds and the star power. While the show went four and a half hours long, including the buy-in, it was nonstop exciting. $50 is no small chunk of change, but you really get your money's worth with AEW pay-per-views. Only negative I have on is JR's commentary. Firstly, him talking during entrances, most specifically Darby Allen's video saying, looks like the Freebirds, when it was about his life story involving his uncle was frustrating. Also, he sounds like he is commentating for really young WWE fans that have just started watching AEW recently in how he overexplains the psychology in wrestling matches. While AEW certainly is looking to gain more fans, his commentary can be overbearing at times, especially the AEW diehards like myself. It's not an uncommon complaint um, of the commentary. I I think we all who are longtime wrestling fans have incredible reverence for JR. Um, but I I imagine even he would admit to you that he is he is not the commentator that he used to be. That doesn't mean he doesn't provide value to these shows. You know, I I again I've 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 spoken to casual fans who watch this show and the first thing that they hear is Jim Ross and it's a familiar voice and I think that certainly add something um do i think he should be commentating every show i personally don't think so i i would love to hear him you know appear for special occasions i would love to hit for him to have a weekly talk show segment where he could sit down and conduct these interviews with these talents to talk about their stories i don't think there's a better person in that backstage role than jim ross to convey the seriousness of but, you know, like an Adam Page storyline, um, like he he is perfect for that. And I think that's when he that's him performing at his best commentary, unfortunately, is not him at his best. But at the same time, it's that's not my decision. And I also don't know the metrics of what exactly a Jim Ross may provide. Obviously, Tony Khan feels he's more than, you know, um, uh, whatever mistakes that you may may feel he makes on commentary. Um, it, it, it's not a big enough deal for him to take him off. We get to Jamie who says, wow, what a show living in the UK. Don't often stay up, but it, as it's my birthday, I had to treat myself. Happy birthday, Jamie. Happy birthday, Jamie. From the first match to the last, it was a pure joy. Is it wrong that I still think Eddie should have won? And the Cody Pack match fell flat as soon as Pack won. I That's think it was the- better that Eddie lost. I thought, I thought it was way better for Eddie Kingston. Agreed. Um, for, Agreed. For, both, for both sides. Like that was the better outcome. Yeah, and I think you're supposed to f- want Eddie to win. I think again, it's it's a, it should to me a longer term story I, that I hope they continue. Uh, he says that's nothing unpacked, but Cody was all the wrong heat. Some made up three way winner Stip would have worked better without Cody. There's no way he can stay face after that night. I mean, I would have said said the same thing after his last match, but um, he he's he continues to play in this gray area, which I I I mean, sometimes I think it's deliberate to you know 
um, keep us from guessing when he'll actually turn. Other times, I think he strictly wants to just stay in this gray area forever, which might be satisfying to some, which might be completely unsatisfying to others. But, you know, we can at least say that they're they're very, very aware of, of his type of reaction. Okay, a few more here. Dwayne from Ireland. MJF and Darby set the bar on this one, but I love the side headlock takeover finish. It's a toss-up between that and Punk Kingston for Match of the Night Honors. There was definitely a lull in the middle of the card with the Cody tag match and the women's title match back-to-back. The tag had no place on this show, in my opinion, being completely lost in the shuffle when it could have been served as a featured main event on TV this week coming out of the show. Great moment for Hangman to finally win the big one, but how about the Hogan-esque shoulder up at 3.1 after uh, from Kenny after taking his own finish and two buckshots? One thing that's for sure, though, staying up till 5 a.m. for an AEW pay-per-view never feels like a bad idea, while flawed in areas to show absolutely delivered for the most part. 8.5 out of 10. You know, I didn't notice the 3.1 kick out from Kenny, did you? I didn't either, no. Uh, I mean, the moment of Paige winning was so big that I, I think it overshadowed any sort of subtlety. And I also don't really get mad at, like, I don't even get mad at Hogan kicking out at 3.1 because um, when you have a champion as dominant as you had Kenny, I think you want to retain a bit of that value, you know? And I don't think it takes anything away from Paige. Like, Paige is the only one to have, I guess if you don't count Christian, um, the only one to have, uh, well, to have pinned him clean. And this was about as clean as you can get. So, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, it doesn't upset me, really. Chris says, um, AEW has stolen the old takeover accolades, where every pay-per-view is better than the previous one. And each time I wonder how they could possibly outdo the previous. Such a wonderful night. Loved every minute of it. Brian from New Jersey, really strong show, not at the level of All Out, but still a home run. How it all ended. Glad to see Adam Page's coronation. My match of the night was Punk and Kingston. Cody and Pac versus Andrade and Black didn't click for me. The two multi-man brawls exceeded my expectations. Genuine surprise and Jay Lethal signing, plus we get Ishii on Wednesday. While every match received plenty of time to me, it became very evident that they move really quickly from one match to the other on these pay-per-views, barely giving us time to breathe. Nevertheless, money's well spent. There you go. Demand for breathing room. Maybe like breathing air should have a match. Yeah, just like a collective exhale. Like maybe you bring out DDP for some like yoga yoga, yeah. and everyone breathes. And John Morrison can come in to lead us through a guided meditation. Of course. Between matches. That's right. All right. We got a Ben from Vancouver who says, great show. A match of the night for me was Kingston Punk, mostly for the atmosphere. Really liked MJF Darby, Brian Miro, and the 10-man. Everything was solid to great with the only thing, with the only okay thing being the women's match. Didn't like the finish of the tag titles match, and I thought the Bucks match was too long, but other than that, no complaints. I wanted a little more of a spectacular celebration for Hangman. Confetti or balloons would have made it feel more special. Did they have had a big hug least? with the Dark Order? I thought that moment was great. Yeah. Way better than balloons hey they are going to uh, uh i, I have seriously state. dude have we ever done a post show where the complaint has been no balloons <laughs> never no it's usually the opposite uh, like with okada you know too many that's balloons. right that's right too many balloons that's yeah. pretty good but hey remember they are going to his home state on that's wednesday. gonna be a huge show a huge show on wednesday with him he should, he, that should be where he comes out on the horse yeah with confetti although i don't know if you can do can you do confetti with horses like are there rules with animals and Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Can't do pyro. I don't know. Uh, he says, uh, Ben says, what do you see next for MJF? I thought for sure he was losing due to the botched interference from Wardlow, but I think the only logical step next is the title. 
Yeah, that to me would be one that I would try and hold off on until the next pay-per-view. I could see that being, you know, your revolution show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could see that. And Muggin is our last piece of feedback of the night. I was on edge when the Bucks came out, and when the ref was down, I was relieved when the three count occurred, and two years paid off as Hangman conquered Kenny Omega, and it was cathartic as hell, and his celebration with the Dark Order gave me all the feels. The Elite all losing their matches needed to happen, and Full Gear came through on that promise. Is that the case? Okay. Yeah, you're right. So the Bucks and the Super Click lose, and Kenny lose. So, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe they break up after this. Yeah, I could see many different ways. Like, if Kenny goes away for a little bit and that kind of is left unresolved. And then you can bring back Kenny. He can go the babyface route. He can come back. And there, there is countless stuff uh, for Kenny, especially if we talk about like timing wise, seriously, like I, I have no knowledge of like what his status is, but if he disappeared for a while and came back and you were further into this ability to bring over talent from new Japan, like he is front and center of just endless ideas of where you can go to yes yes absolutely were there any extra announcements because like didn't they say like um what is it uh tony Khan would announce matches after full gear that's right um i'm trying to look up right now uh chat room if you if you guys are aware let us know but um trying to see yeah i don't know we we went live right after this so i don't know uh what was said on the uh the conference call after after the fact yeah um, um yeah, whatever. We'll we'll update everybody. I mean, we'll be back on Monday anyway, so yes. there you go. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us live tonight for the AEW Full Gear Post Show. Uh, on Sunday night, WrestleNomics Radio will be dropping with Brandon Thurston and Chris Gullo, so check that out at postwrestling.com. And then Wayne and I will be back on Monday. We will be doing a post-daily news update during the day uh, where I'm going to do my best to watch the New Japan show before uh, Monday. Uh, the card that is probably wrapping up right as we speak in San Jose. There was absolutely no way to watch both of these shows. Uh, yeah, a bit of an update here, uh, and thanks to uh, Hansi in the chat room. But uh, and this comes from Brian Alvarez, who I believe is in the attendance at, at San Jose. He says Osprey offers Okada a shot at the real IWGP Championship, saying he is the real champion. He says Okada can face Shingo for the interim title on January fourth, and he will face the winner on the fifth. So we'll Osprey will face the winner on the fifth. Okay, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, Jonah Rock also showed up at the the New Japan show in San Jose, uh, so so that was notable as well. Okay, so we will chat about that more on Monday. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to postwrestling.com. Lots of stuff up there, including all of the latest shows, the NWA podcast, everything else can be found there. Way, thank you as always, and that is it for us. Thank you, John.